So we're all doing metta practice. And there's so many different ways we can think about metta. Like, what is metta? What does it have to do with, like, Buddhist practice? And and am I doing it right? (laughs) There are a number of things that uh, you might have in mind when you think of metta practice. So I'd like to offer a few words this afternoon as a support for your practice. And one thing that I found helpful with metta practice as a way to like guide the orientation or the direction, the manner in which to practice, is that metta is really characterized by this we might say warm-heartedness. I like this expression, warm-heartedness. I like it because it's kind of vague. <laughs> and it emphasizes warm-heartedness is like maybe an experience we would have rather than just an idea. So metta as this warm-heartedness or goodwill, friendliness, care, loving-kindness, maybe even just love, that's characterized by freedom. It's this quality of freedom that's embedded in that. And tonight, or this afternoon, I'll talk a little bit about what, what does that mean? So we might say that metta is this heartfelt concern for the welfare and happiness of others heartfelt concern for the welfare and happiness for ourselves, and heartfelt concern for the welfare and happiness for all beings, without exception. Something, I don't know, my heart uh, feels like um, kind of excited by that possibility to have this wish for the well-being for all beings. And so, the way that we can use this idea of freedom as part of one of the characteristics of metta is to just feel into is the way that you're practicing supporting a sense of freedom, peace, ease, openness, spaciousness, because this is the direction we're going. Or is it feeling like it's getting really tight and cramped and when is this going to be over? That kind of a feeling. And I can't say it's always going to be peace and freedom and unicorns and rainbows and, you know, that type of thing. Of course not. But we can use that as a guidance for when you hear instructions or hear teachings from us, sometimes there can be a way in which there's might be some tightness around it. There might be a way in which there is some closing down or heaviness, or maybe even it feels oppressive, like, oh my gosh, really? I have to do this. <laughs> so just this way to be sensitive to. I'm one of those people that may be a little more kinesthetic in the way that I practice. So not everybody is like this, but for some people to be sensitive to, is there a sense of opening, spaciousness, or a sense of closing and collapsing in this practice that we're offering? Because there might be a way in which we have this idea, okay, I want to do metta practice in order to fix that thing in my life that needs fixing, dang it. And then there can be a way in which we're like using metta as kind of like a sledgehammer to try to fix something that, you know, no matter we're just metta faster, harder, you know, something like this, but somehow it's not making a difference. And so that can be a way in which there's a little bit of this collapsing instead of spaciousness. And I don't want to say that metta can't be a support for our, all of our relationships, every single one of them. 
but it is a practice. And so it's not something that, you know, right at the beginning it's going to fix everything. Of course it isn't. I wish it would. I wish that Nikki and I could be here and teach uh, something and everybody go, oh yeah, okay, got it. Now my personal life is perfectly fine and uh, everything's great. That would be great. That would. I don't think anything would make me happier. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's not how it is. And I think you wouldn't trust it if we did say, you know, like, shazam, okay, it's fixed. <laughs> right? There's a part of us that recognizes, oh yeah, things are a process. There is a movement that happens as we cultivate metta, as we let go of whatever it is that's maybe in the way of the metta or not supporting the metta. So another way in which metta is, uh, or maybe to say more explicitly, associated with freedom, is that metta like aspires to to have these like universal, you know, dimensions. There's this way we might think of it in terms of like space, in terms of like boundlessness. This way in which there's without any limits or without any reservations or without any distinctions, just this boundlessness. But maybe another way that we can understand that or maybe language it a little bit differently is to have this uh, loving kindness, this goodwill, this warm-heartedness without conditions. Without saying, well... I'll, I'll feel okay about you as long as you agree with everything I say. As long as you do all those things that match my preferences and don't do those things that don't match my preferences. Right? Because the truth is, many of us, we are putting some limits and extending love and warm-heartedness to those that we feel the most comfortable with, maybe those who are the most familiar maybe not so much to others. And I appreciate so much uh, Tenisaro Bhikkhu. Some of you might know him, but uh, in some of his writings, I read this some time ago about metta, I uh, chuckled because he said, it's, we're not saying that you have to love everybody. Because he said, that would be creepy. <laughs> For some people would think like, oh, like, you know, this love from somebody that you that doesn't even know you or something like that. So it's just about maybe not having ill will, not having aversion is what's being pointed to here. So something that uh, for me, I would say is very meaningful that this idea of caring for others or having this warm-heartedness or maybe maybe even having love doesn't, isn't something that has to be left to chance or something that has to be due to because we finally got everything in our life just perfect. That doesn't feel like freedom, right? Just waiting for chance or just endlessly trying to make our life you know, manufactured, engineered, manipulated, twisted, and to be just perfect. Chances are you've been spending most of your lifetime trying to do this. And if it worked, you wouldn't be here doing a meta retreat. Your life would be perfect. And so, of course, this, for me, it's meaningful that there's like practices, there's a way in which we can move towards this greater freedom, this less conditionality, this more boundlessness. And that's part of what this retreat is about, is this movement, this orientation going that direction with our practice, with our minds, with our hearts. There's something that um, happens when we repeatedly have the intention to turn 
towards warm-heartedness. We repeatedly have the intention to orient towards non-ill will. Maybe sometimes even just saying the phrases. I know for me, sometimes there's a way saying the phrases can support a sense of the word like safety or happiness or health or ease. There can be a collectedness around that that uh, kind of allows things that aren't that to go away. For some people, maybe it's less about the words and the phrases and it's more about just the imagination, imagining the lovable being and really connecting with that. Different minds have different ways. That's partly why it's a three-ring circus. And it's partly to recognize that the practice doesn't always show up the same way. Maybe there's a time in which it's really easy to bring to mind a lovable being. But maybe there's times when it's not so easy, like you get irritated with everybody in some kind of way. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But just this recognition that it's a practice. And just like everything we learn, the more we do it, the more we orient that way, or the more that we kind of renew our commitment to wanting to do that, the more it grows, the more the conditions get created, makes it more likely that this uh, warm-heartedness will arise. For me, I... um, remember my very first meditation retreat. I had this really naive idea. I thought, I do shavasana for five minutes at the end of a yoga practice. I know how to meditate. <laughs> I really had no idea what I was doing when I signed up for a meditation retreat. But I remember being astounded that the person in front of me like sat still. <laughs> for the whole time. I just, for me, I was like so wiggly and uh, I just, my whole body just hurt and my mind was screaming, what were you thinking, Diana, when you signed up for this? And I never had the idea that, okay, I'm going to force myself to learn how to sit for 45 minutes, half hour, whatever it is. It just happened. On that retreat, something inside me got touched. And even though I found it difficult to sit still and was physically uncomfortable a lot of the time, there was something in me that recognized, and I couldn't even be able to articulate it, but there was something that recognized, oh yeah, there's there's something here for me that somehow I'm hungry for, or I've been looking for. So it just happened that I could sit still, you know, eventually just doing more and more meditation. So in the same way, just kind of like reorienting toward this practice of loving kindness, this warm heartedness, it just starts to grow. It's not like all of a sudden I got it and it becomes easy peasy. I think all of us know this. It's the same whenever we want to learn anything. Sometimes it can be that this loving-kindness practice, this metta, this warm-heartedness, it it can feel, or maybe I should just say, maybe your mind isn't like my mind and heart. Sometimes it can feel like, really, still? (laughs) It feels like the tank is a little dry, and, and I have this intention but it doesn't feel, there isn't this, um, I don't know how to, ex- it, maybe just the word dry is the right word. As opposed to other times, there feels a real richness and a depth of uh, the practice. 
So I kind of want to honor and respect, right, that there's waves, like especially when you're doing this throughout the day and a number of days, don't always do expect that it's this lovely, beautiful dropping into this loving kindness into menta. So sometimes maybe it feels like it's mechanical. Maybe sometimes it feels like the tank is a little bit empty. That's okay. That's okay. Because as uh, Nikki has mentioned, we're planting seeds. I love this analogy because there's this a way in which seeds, you know, actual seeds, germinate often under the soil in the dark when nobody is looking. So there might be a way in which we feel like nothing is happening and I don't have, I don't know what to do here, but whether or not there's this feeling of connection, metta, warm-heartedness or not, can be really powerful to stay with the practice, not to discard it, not to be dismissive, not to collapse, not to believe the story that says, I can't do this. It's just a story. It's not true. So there's a way in which Maybe I'll say that Nikki this morning talked about like tuning to bring into mind like the lovable being, the easy being, and tuning into the loving kindness that we might have, the care, respect, warmth, whatever word you like that we might have for that easy being. And allow the phrases to flow out of that. That's beautiful. If it feels like that's not accessible, there's value in just maybe saying with the phrases and having the intention for the loving kindness, or maybe even having the intention to have the intention to have the loving kindness. Because the last thing we want to do is like create the conditions in which we have these really high expectations of what we should be experiencing all the time. And every time we don't experience that, we are feeling like, oh, this isn't working, or I don't know how to do this, or there's so many things that can come up when that happens. So maybe just an encouragement to, maybe not to give up, or to believe some of the things that the mind might be telling you about what it means if you, at that moment, aren't experiencing loving kindness for whomever it is that you're practicing with. Because there's a way in which sometimes we can hear these teachings on metta and it Maybe it feels this boundlessness, this unconditionality. Maybe it feels like, wow, is that even possible? Or maybe it feels a little bit unrealistic. Or maybe it feels like, oh, that's maybe what a robot would do. Or not not somebody who has a messy life like I do. I have a rich, full life with all kinds of complications and subtleties and things like this. Maybe there's a way in which it feels like to repeat the phrases. Maybe it feels like it excludes our personality or excludes the richness of all who that we are. Maybe you feel like, oh, this is reductionistic or something like this. It turns out that this practice actually allows and makes room for the the, the fullness of who we are with all the different aspects and flavors and colors and all the different ways that uh, we show up. What I mean by colors is, you know, sometimes we might feel like uh, we're seeing things through rose-colored glasses or 
sometimes we're seeing things through really dark colored glasses. You know, there's a way in which uh, what we view is c- colored by the internal experience. And so it might be helpful to keep in mind that metta, Nikki and I are using a, a number of uh, different synonyms. You're welcome and encouraged to find whichever words resonate the most for you. But it's not just a single feeling. If we start to feel like, oh, metta is this, then we often can fall into the trap of, do I have it? Do I not have it? And it's kind of like this binary, I don't have it and I think I should, or I do have it and I better hold on to it. Instead, sometimes to recognize that metta can be kind of like energetic and bright and bubbly. Or maybe there's a time in which it's uh, calming and soothing and a little bit more quiet. Or maybe there's a way it has this quality of healing in it, or maybe it has a quality of gentleness or warmth. Maybe it has this spaciousness or this quality of maybe just allowing. So to recognize that it has all these different expressions and to maybe tune into, be sensitive to pay attention to all the different ways it shows up. I recognize sometimes it's really subtle and sometimes it's not subtle at all. And then a whole lot in between. And however it is at that moment, including if it's not anything in particular, that moment is okay. It's part of the practice. So metta has this constellation of feelings and it also can be mixed up with other feelings. Sometimes there's this sense of warm-heartedness and maybe there's a little bit of attachment to it as well. I, I really want this. Or, or maybe there's with an individual that uh, of course we love them, we care for them, but we don't want them to go away Whatever they do, please don't go away. And so there's a this little bit of attachment to it. So maybe it doesn't have as much of the boundlessness. But or maybe there's a way in which there's this conditionality, I'll continue loving you if dot dot dot, you know, fill in the blank or something like that. The so practice is just to notice. Oh yeah, this uh, metta has a little bit of attachment to it. That's okay. Because the last thing we want to do is feel like, oh, this is awful and kind of uh, want to throw it away or collapse or something about this. I just kind of want to normalize all the experiences. There's such a wide range in which the metta practice can show up. And there's a way in which if attachment or conditionality, if we're noticing that, we can learn from it. Oh yeah, how does it feel to have a little bit of this conditionality, like I I love you or I have this warm-heartedness towards you or this person when you do this, but not so much when you do that. And just to notice, what is it in the mind? What is it in the body? What is it like to have this more constricted form of metta versus a more open part of metta? And even becoming clear with that in our life can make a big difference for us to notice and honor and respect the more open forms and have some curiosity and some respect for those times when it's not so open. There's reasons why it's there. Things don't happen just by magic. And so to kind of like honor our experience and maybe get a little curious. Huh. Why is there this conditionality here? Maybe it's very clear for you. Maybe it's obvious. But is there a way that 
We can have metta even for the attachment. Metta even for the conditionality. Instead of thinking that it has to be one way or no way. Because, right, we want to include our humanity, include our complexity. And let's face it, the messiness of some of our relationships, too. It's all included and it's apt to all show up in some kind of way. So just to recognize it's part of this learning process. It's part of the metta practice. And maybe it helps us to become sensitive to when there's more and less conditionality, more or less limits. And we can orient towards where is it have more freedom. What does it feel like in the mind, in the body, in the heart? And when we recognize that, then it becomes easier and easier to align with that. When we, the mind and heart, have an experience, it just becomes easier and easier to repeat that experience. So I talked about metta being part of this, uh, having this characteristic of freedom. And we might even say like all practice is related to freedom. Peace, ease, whichever word you can relate to. And we might say that uh, for Buddhist practice in general, making like a gross generalization In some ways, many ways, we could say this generalization doesn't make any sense. But there's also a way in which it can be helpful. And that is to say that we might say that there's two types of practices. Again, this in some ways can be a false dichotomy, but there's also a way in which it can be helpful. There's like cultivation practices and there's letting go practices. Right, we might, like as I said, say, oh, well, maybe they're the same, but maybe there's different too. But there's this way in which there's a developing, a building, a strengthening. It's what we're doing with loving-kindness practice, what we do often with mindfulness practice, what we do with concentration practice. In the same way, there are practices that are releasing and shedding and uh, renouncing, letting go just in general. So, as um, Nikki has said uh, earlier, this is a cultivation practice. And uh, again, I like this analogy of seeds just in the same way that farmers plant seeds. We're planting seeds. And just those of you who have been practicing mindfulness or concentration for some time, you know that you know every moment of mindfulness counts, matters. In the same way, this loving kindness, this orientation towards warm-heartedness, and even if the warm-heartedness isn't available at that moment, to have that intention, this intention to be orient this particular direction as opposed to the ill will or the aversion or something like this. But there's another way in which uh, metta is related to freedom and we might say Buddhist practice in general is that it's about this like the level of effort or the amount of effort we do with practice. There's a way in which effort can be this um, art, kind of the art of practice, maybe even like it's certain delicate, like certain times in practice, just in using a vague term practice, we really need to put some effort in. And then there are times in practice when we don't need to put so much effort in. And for every individual meditation session, we're always kind of like negotiating that. But we might notice that when there's like too much effort, when there's a lot of straining or striving or 
really trying to make something happen. This is connected with a sense of like me trying to get somewhere else. There's this sense of lack or this sense of insufficiency that's kind of maybe not so obvious, but is underneath this what's pushing the effort. Whereas loving kindness is having like this boundless goodwill or maybe this uh, acceptance. There's a way in which it uh, loosens the amount of effort and there's, it introduces the amount of flexibility. So when there's too much effort, there can be a way in which there's a constriction and there's this idea of me wanting to be somewhere else. And this isn't okay, dang it. I got to try to change it or something like this. So this open-heartedness, this warmth that uh, we're cultivating supports practice in so many different ways, including this way, the amount of effort. But it also supports practice, just our life in general, that maybe we have uh, some resistance to this idea of uh, repeating phrases. Maybe we're feeling like it's not tuned in so much to loving kindness. I'm talking a lot about not being tuned in to loving kindness tonight, I'm realizing, but I kind of want to just normalize uh, our experience. That there will be a range of experiences that we'll have on this retreat. But there might be a way in which there's this resistance to using our mind and hearts in this way that can Uh, repeatedly orienting towards this warm-heartedness. We might have this idea that uh, we have important things to think about or we have to want to be more creative or we have to solve problems and we feel like, oh, but I'm repeating these phrases and uh, it's inhibiting me from doing these things. But perhaps you'll notice that uh, so many of our thoughts are just repeats of thoughts we've had before. There's not as much problem solving and creativity going on as we like to think or imagine. This is something, one of the first things we might learn with meditation practices, like, oh, wow, this is what's going on in the mind. So maybe there's a way in which doing this practice, is helps to maybe replace some unskillful thoughts, some thoughts that maybe we're stuck in a rut and going around and around. I can't do this, or I have to tell that person that thing as soon as I get off of this retreat, or sometimes there's something that the mind can like grab hold of and somehow can't quite let go, and it just goes around and around. But as best we can to kind of like reorient to loving kindness practice is a way that can like unhook some of these repetitive things that we find ourselves with. And can maybe even like replace some of these repetitions, this going around, getting stuck. And Let's be honest, also just like having metaphrases in the mind is often more pleasant than what we have in the mind. Sometimes there's this uh, tightness or irritation with every experience or whatever is arising. So that's a, another way in which metta practice might be a support for just our Buddhist practice or this movement towards more freedom, is to help unhook the mind to some of like that thing that that person said, and that you just keep on thinking over like, oh, I should have said this, I should have said that. We just kind of like maybe like bow to that 
and say yes. And I think it's a tall order, a very tall order at that moment if we find that we're hooked to wish that person the loving kindness. Instead, go to where it's the absolute easiest and orient there. So Nikki and I encouraging you to stay with the easy being all day today. Allow yourself to steep in it, to explore it. Have plenty of experiences, you know, what works, what doesn't work, how it feels, how it shows up. So if you find that the mind is hooked, can you orient towards the absolute easiest? And I'll throw in imaginary kittens, puppies, and babies. (laughs) There's a reason why kitten videos are so popular on the internet. Or little baby videos or things like that. So another way in which metta practice and just having metta, this warm-heartedness, really supports this movement towards freedom is it's really a support also for samadhi. And I'll define samadhi as a sense of collectedness, a sense of gathering, a sense of settledness that's also with a sense of well-being. And so... This metta supports a sense of well-being. And there's a way in which this repeated orientation and or the repeated phrases also allows some collectiveness to happen, some gathering of the energies of the mind and heart to be coming together and not so scattered or distracted. And then when a mind has samadhi, then there's, maybe there's some clarity or some understanding, some depth or openness that's available with our, that's not available with our distracted mind. It's a different way of seeing becomes available. The more the mind and heart can rest in this non-distractedness or with this sense of well-being. It's really powerful. So metta is a tremendous support for that. And you might find that as you're practicing that there's some settling that's happening with the mind and body and heart. Coupled with uh, hopefully some ease and spaciousness. And Nikki started this morning by talking about with um, having metta for the easy being. And then during the guided meditation, she introduced, well, imagine that this uh, lovable being is sending metta to you. What is it like to receive metta from this lovable being? And what would it be like to have metta for ourselves? What does it be like to have a relationship with ourselves that has metta as part of it, as, as our relationship is filled with metta? It's vital. It's for our lives. Could you imagine like, how the world would be if people really felt they had some care and love for themselves and didn't need to find all of it outside of themselves. Didn't need to make others see them a particular way or didn't need to do some of these things that we do that turn out not to be helpful when we're trying to find a way to have more, to feel better inside. When it's quite something. Sometimes I like to do these little thought experiments. Like, what would it be like if everybody cared for themselves and like felt 
not in an egotistical, narcissist way or anything like that, but in a way in which, in a healthy way, to have some love and care for themselves and not, and that I would stop demanding that things outside provide that for them. And so this practice loving kindness for ourselves turns out to be not only really important for ourselves, but I would say it's important for the world. It's an opportunity for us maybe to be the change we wish to see in the world. If we have a more settledness, a little bit more ease. But it also, if we had some of this healthy love, healthy care for ourselves, but also allow us to take some more risks. And maybe we would take risks and being creative in some ways, or offering things to the world that we think might help, or take risks and letting people know how much we appreciate and love them. Maybe we take risks with some of ideas that we have, and some of them might be great ideas. So maybe this idea that uh, having metta for ourselves can be a foundation for our lives, but it also can be a foundation for the way in which we can give loving kindness, show up in a way that has loving kindness, metta, warm-heartedness for others. Because metta for oneself is not about what we think we deserve. It's not about what we've done or not done or how we think we measure up. That's a lot of limits and that's not uh, unconditional. It's just metta for ourselves simply because we exist. It's quite something. It's a beautiful thing. But for many people to have metta for oneself is difficult. Not for everybody, but for some people, a lot of people, it turns out not to be so easy. And this, of course, is a practice. And we might say that having loving kindness or having metta or care for ourselves might be due to our early life, family, education, what you know, all these things that are part of our early life. And then also to note that uh, there's kind of like, we might say, mixed messages that we receive as adults too. Certainly there's these messages that kind of get sent through the media, like the importance of, uh, it's about me, I have to take care of myself. And it's selfish to take care of yourself. There's a little bit of this both messages that we get. And of course, it's not as explicit as what I'm saying here, but there's this way in which there's a sense of a me first, this individuality that gets um, highlighted. But then there's also kind of this subtle way of you have to put yourself second and just only serve others. So metta is a way to find a healthy way that's characterized by freedom, healthy way to have this warm-heartedness, have this love, have this goodwill for yourself. So can, there's a way in which there can be a habit of not appreciating ourselves. We might consider it's indulgent or inappropriate. And there can be unhealthy ways in which we are ignoring all the messages we're getting from others that were out of balance or ignoring the 
message that this oh this doesn't feel like freedom at all. This feels like shoving everything and everybody away just so that I can get what I want. But is there a way in which we can appreciate all aspects of ourselves, including the inner critic, including that quiet voice that maybe is very familiar, that somehow is making us feel like we don't deserve it or it's inappropriate or we only can have goodwill or love ourselves when we do X or Y or Z or something like this. And so loving kindness for oneself includes all aspects of ourselves and recognizing that it'll show up as a, maybe as a mixture and not so straightforward. But it can also show up as as we're cultivating loving kindness for the lovable being, the easy being, it can show up as we somehow get filled up or have our drink enough of the loving kindness for the easy being that it starts to just overflow and starts to overflow into loving kindness for ourselves. And so an encouragement that if it feels like loving kindness for yourself feels like too much of a slog and too much of a reach, to do loving kindness where it's easy. Allow yourself to be nourished and supported by that. Instead of collapsing into, oh my goodness, this is really hard. Because it's not uncommon that what happens when we're doing loving kindness, maybe you've already noticed this today, the exact opposite of loving kindness shows up. Like we're creating the conditions for loving kindness and somehow all this ill will. And I'll just say for myself, I've had to, I was amazed. <laughs> this was a, quite some time ago, I did a long retreat and during with some loving kindness. I could not believe all the venom that was coming up. I was like, wow, where is this coming from? I thought I was a nice person, but maybe I'm not. <laughs> It turns out, I didn't know it at the time, it turns out that's just part of the process. Sometimes we use this word purification. I, 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 that's not my favorite words, but it's just part of the process. So if you've discovered that that's happening, it's okay. Just keep going as best you can. So if you're doing loving kindness for yourself and you're finding that there's always these, instead this inner critic just starts roaring really loudly, which can happen. Maybe for some people they find it helpful to like kind of like recognize, oh yeah, there's this little aspect of myself that uh, kind of like likes to put me down and or is cranky or something. And some people find it helpful to say, Okay, cranky pants, here we go. <laughs> you can join me here with me and we're going to do metta. We're going to do loving kindness. Or you can do metta for the whatever. You might find like a playful, silly name. Cranky pants might not be the right name that comes for you, but <laughs> whatever it is. So loving-kindness metta practice, this way in which have this warm-heartedness that's characterized by freedom. And freedom um, is this like openness and spaciousness, not being pushed around, 
having to avoid certain situations, avoid certain people, avoid certain emotions. That's not freedom. Freedom is allowing whatever is arising to to be there because it is there. And so this movement of openness, spaciousness, as best we can, as best we can, just kind of having some confidence in this practice. Even if you aren't feeling anything in particular that moment, to have some confidence and not be dismissive, but to have some confidence that it can make a difference. It does make a difference. And if you don't have that confidence, maybe you can borrow some of the confidence that Nikki and I have. And the transformative power of this loving-kindness practice. It's just orienting towards care, warmth, goodwill, love, friendliness, kindness. Not in a way in that we're pretending like everything else doesn't exist, but just as a practice. For this time, I'm going to orient in this direction. I'm not pretending, I'm not repressing everything, but I'm just going to, for this time, I'm going to orient in this direction. I think I'll stop there. Let's, Let's sit for just a minute or so. Thank you for your kind attention. And we have a half hour for walking before dinner. <laughs>